Welcome to Comcast Washington, brought to you by Aspire Consulting. My name is David Bain, and I'm the Safety and Loss Control Specialist here at Aspire. Our number one goal is to assist our clients in sending their workers home in the same condition in which they arrived after an active day at work. We believe this takes uncompromising leadership and relentless effort to establish a culture that is passionate in its belief that all incidents are preventable. Today we'd like to discuss OSHA 300 reporting and recording requirements. You might have questions like, what do I record? Or, when do I need to fill out my log? When and where should I post my 300-day summary? These are all things we'll cover in today's podcast, so let's get started. First, let's talk about reporting requirements if you have a work-related accident on your job site. In the state of Washington, all employers are required to report to labor and industries a workplace fatality or inpatient hospitalization of any employee within eight hours of the incident. This means you do not have to report a non-fatal incident unless your injured worker is admitted to the hospital. If you have any questions about this, please contact Aspire at 253-205-8150. If you do need to call Labor and Industries, the number for them is 1-800-423-7233. This is a recorded line where you will need to provide some basic information, such as your contact name and phone number, the name of the business or establishment, the location of the work-related incident, the date and time it occurred, how many employees were involved, and a brief description of what happened. In addition, you must not move any equipment involved in the incident until a representative of the Department of Labor and Industries comes to investigate. You can secure the area to prevent future injuries from happening, but for the most part, leave things as they were when the accident occurred. If you're a retro member within the Associated Builders and Contractors, or ABC, please contact us. We will come on site and help conduct an accident investigation and help prepare you for the LNI investigation. Okay, on to the OSHA recording requirements. There are three forms which you will need to fill out. All these can be found on the OSHA website. First is Form 301, or the Injury and Illness Incident Report. This is a form you use to describe and capture the basic information of the workplace injury or illness. OSHA states that you may use your own company's incident report as long as you capture the same information as found on the OSHA 301 form. This is the first form you fill out during the recording process. OSHA requires that it be completed and filed within seven calendar days after the accident happens. We recommend you capture this information as quickly as possible while the details are still clear. Once you have your incident report, you will need to determine whether or not this needs to be recorded on your OSHA log. This is our second form. This is the primary topic of our discussion today. Your log, or Form 300, is required by OSHA to classify work-related injuries and illnesses and to record the extent and severity of each case. This is an organized log of incidents that occur throughout the calendar year and it not only serves to comply with OSHA recording regulations, but also gives you, the employer, a compact narrative of your workplace accidents that may end up showing patterns which should help you implement new safety programs moving forward. Employers must keep a log for each establishment or site. If you have more than one establishment, you must keep a separate log and summary for each physical location that's expected to be in operation for one year or longer. This does include job sites. What that means is that if you have a job site that you are consistently sending labor to for the entire calendar year, meaning January 1st through December 31st, then you must keep a separate log and summary for that site. 
I should note there are two classes of employers that are partially exempt from maintaining OSHA 300 forms. First, employers with 10 or fewer employees at all times during the previous calendar year are exempt from maintaining OSHA logs and summaries. This employee count includes all employees at all your business locations combined. Second, establishments in certain low hazard industries are also partially exempt from keeping OSHA logs and summaries. If your business is on the industry exemption list indicated by the four-digit NAICS or North American Industrial Classification System, you are also exempt. This list is in Table 1 under WAC 296-27-00105. Assume that unless you find your business on this list, you will have to maintain those OSHA 300 forms. If you are in the ABC Construction Group, you will likely not be on this list, and therefore you will have to maintain your OSHA 300 forms. Okay, the last form you'll need to fill out is your Form 300A, the Summary of Work-Related Injuries and Illnesses. OSHA requires that every employer complete a 300A form at the end of each calendar year, regardless of whether or not work-related injuries or illnesses occurred. This summary must be posted from February 1st through April 30th. This needs to be posted in your office or job site visible for all employees. Again, this information is important for you, the employer, in evaluating the safety of a workplace, understanding the hazards of that workplace, and then implementing policy and procedures to reduce and eliminate those hazards. Okay, before we start talking about our 300 log, I want to briefly mention electronic reporting. Starting in December of 2017, OSHA required businesses to report their summary and log electronically, depending on the size of the company. Significant changes have been made since then. I just recently attended a stakeholder meeting on January 30th of 2019, and there's a couple things I want to note. One, moving forward, OSHA will only be requiring your 300A summary to be electronically submitted. They will not require your 300 log. Number two, unless something significant changes, Washington will finalize this law into effect starting in 2020. So as it stands right now, you will be required to submit your 2019 summary in March of 2020. Okay, so let's get into determining whether an incident should be recorded on your OSHA 300 log. The very first thing I want to make clear is that the path of determining an OSHA recordable is completely unrelated to the potential allowance of an LNI workers' compensation claim in Washington State. This means that you cannot just go obtain a list of your claims over the calendar year and transfer them over to your 300 log. Throughout the remainder of the podcast, I will point out times when you may have a recordable without an LNI claim, and I'll also illustrate examples where you have a claim but no recordable. So let's talk about something called the five-step process. This is a tool that you'll use to determine whether or not you have a log entry on your OSHA 300 form. Step one, did the employee suffer an injury or illness? If yes, then we'll go to step two. Is the injury or illness work-related? So as it states, an injury or illness is considered work-related if an event or exposure in the work environment caused or contributed to the condition or significantly aggravated a pre-existing condition. Work-relatedness is presumed for injuries and illnesses resulting from events or exposures occurring in the workplace unless an exception specifically applies. There's a lot of gray area here when considering whether or not an event is work-related or not. 
I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but let me say this. If your worker was on the clock, furthering your business in any way, consider it work-related. If you have any questions about this, please don't hesitate to reach out to any of us here at Aspire, and we can get you the correct answer pertaining to your specific situation. In addition, OSHA's website is a valuable resource citing specific examples that will illustrate certain aspects of OSHA recording requirements. Now that we've assumed the incident is work-related, we go to step three. Is the injury or illness a new case, or is this an ongoing issue from a pre-existing incident? If it's new, then we go to step four. Is the injury or illness serious enough according to the general recording criteria? We'll get into this in just a minute. But if yes, then step five, record the case on your 300 log. So let's quickly recap the five-step process. Step one, did the employee suffer an injury or illness? Step two, was it work-related? Step three, is it a new case? Step four, is it serious enough according to the general criteria? Step five, record it on your log. So now let's go over the general recording criteria. If you answer yes to any of the following situations, then you will need to record this on your OSHA log. Was there a fatality? Was there a loss of consciousness for any length of time? Here's an example of a recordable event with potentially no workers' compensation claim. Example would be heat stress or heat exhaustion. If someone on your job site passes out due to heat stress, you give them fluids, put them in a cool area, and they're fine after that, they don't seek additional medical attention, you do not have a workers' compensation claim, but you would need to record this on your OSHA log. Not including the day of the incident, did the worker miss any days away from work? Was there any restricted work activity or job transfer? I'll discuss this further in a moment. Or was there any medical treatment beyond first aid, which we will also define in a moment? All of these scenarios automatically equate to recordable incidents. You also have to record any significant work-related injury or illness that is diagnosed by a licensed healthcare professional, such as cancer, chronic irreversible disease, any fractured or cracked bone, or a punctured eardrum. Finally, you must also record the following specific conditions when they are work-related. Any needle stick injury or cut from a sharp object that is contaminated with another person's blood or infectious material. A tuberculosis infection as evidenced by a positive skin test or diagnosed by a licensed healthcare professional or an employee's hearing loss when compared to a baseline audiogram. Again, these are all situations that require you to record the incident. Let's go back and talk about medical treatment versus first aid. The following conditions are not considered medical treatments and are not recordable. Any visit to a doctor or licensed healthcare professional solely for observation or counseling. So here's one example of a potential workers' compensation claim without an OSHA recordable. If you have a worker that has witnessed a tragic incident and they seek counseling, this will likely equate to an allowable LNI claim, but you are not required to record this on your log. Any diagnostic procedure, such as an x-ray or MRI, in and of itself would not constitute an OSHA recordable. Now if that x-ray reveals a fracture or cracked bone, then we go back and refer to the general recording criteria and see that that does equate to a log entry. Any procedure that can be labeled as first aid also do not need to be recorded. Here's a list of those procedures that fall under the category of first aid. Using non-prescription medications at non-prescription strength. Any prescription written, whether it's oral or topical, is recordable. Administering tetanus immunizations. 
cleaning, flushing, or soaking wounds on the skin surface. Using wound coverings such as band-aids, gauze pads, or butterfly bandages. Note that sutures, staples, and medical glue all equate to recordables. Butterfly bandages do not. Using hot or cold therapy again, this is considered first aid, not recordable. Using any totally non-rigid means of support, such as elastic bandages, non-rigid back belts. Using temporary immobilization devices while transporting a victim, such as a splitting or a neck collar or a splint. Drilling a fingernail or toenail to relieve pressure or draining fluid from a blister. Again, considered first aid. Using any eye patch, simple irrigation, or using a cotton swab to remove a foreign body not embedded to or adhered to the eye. Using irrigation, tweezers, cotton swab, or any other simple means to remove splinters or other foreign material in areas other than the eye. So let's clarify this just a little bit. As soon as I take a pair of tweezers to the eye to remove a foreign object, it becomes recordable. I can flush the eye with fluids, that's fine, but no tools to remove foreign objects. Using these tools anywhere else on the body can be classified as first aid and therefore not recordable. Okay, uh, use of finger guards. Use massages, any drinking of fluids to relieve heat stress, all considered first aid, all non-recordables. So what we just covered, the general recording criteria and the definitions of first aid will guide you through the majority of your incidents. Again, if you do have any questions pertaining to a specific circumstance where you're unsure, please reach out to us at Aspire and we will get you the correct answer. Okay, now let's talk about restricted or light duty work and missed days from work. According to OSHA, restricted work activity occurs when, as the result of a work-related injury or illness, an employer or licensed healthcare professional keeps or recommends keeping an employee from doing the routine functions of his or her job or from working the full workday the employee would have been scheduled to work before the incident occurred. Let's clarify a couple things here. First, the restricted activity can come from either the licensed healthcare professional or you, the employer. Two, a restriction can be either a reduction in physical requirements or a reduction in time worked based on their typical work schedule. Let's define routine functions by a simple example. Let's take a general laborer who, due to a work-related incident, has a temporary restriction of no lifting over 50 pounds but typically their job may only require them to lift over 50 pounds once or twice a week. We do not consider this to be a significant enough restriction to warrant recording it on your log. When it comes to restricted work activity, you would only record this on your log if the worker is significantly restricted from their normal functions or they are temporarily transferred to a new position altogether, such as office helper or shop assistant. Some questions we frequently get are, how do you count the number of days of restricted work or missed days away from work? Does it matter what time of day the injury occurred? How do I count holidays? How many days do I need to record if the worker is off work or has restrictions for an extended period of time? So you begin counting days from the day after the incident occurs. It doesn't matter where the injury occurred at 7.30 a.m. or 5 p.m. The clock doesn't start ticking until the day after the incident. You count the number of calendar days the employee was on restricted work activity or was away from work. This does include weekends and holidays, not just the work week. 
If a single incident involves both days away from work and days of restricted work activity, enter the total number of days for each on your log. You can stop counting days of restricted work activity or days away from work once the total of either or a combination of both reaches 180 days. This is the maximum number of days you would need to record even if the worker continues to either miss days or have significant restricted activity. Okay, now before we wrap things up, I want to briefly talk about temporary labor. When it comes to temporary labor, in most cases, the host employer is responsible for the OSHA recordings. This responsibility is determined by supervision. If you are supervising and directing the output, product, or result to be accomplished, then you are responsible for the OSHA recordable incident. The temp agency will be responsible for any LNI claim if one is allowed. An exception to this is if you hire a crew and supervisor to say come clean your job site and you're not directing that labor, then this would fall into the definition of a subcontractor relationship and you would not be responsible for recording any qualifying incident. We want to thank you again for your time today. We hope you found this review of OSHA 300 requirements helpful. In our next podcast, we will continue with this topic and also discuss specific cases that will help illustrate in a little more depth some of the topics we reviewed today. Again, thank you for your time. This has been Compcast Washington, brought to you by Aspire Consulting.